Welcome to Radical Listening, where we talk to artists about their current projects in the Portland area. I'm your host, Phil Johnson, and uh, you can find me on my social media at Phil Johnson Live. And I'm the co-host, Clifton Holtznoggle. You can find me on Instagram at Holtzbagel, H-O-L-Z-B-A-G-E-L. The episode today is about Jesus Hop the A-Train by Stephen Adley Girgis. And um, this is a play that's happening currently at Coho. Um, it's being co-produced by Beirut Wedding, and uh, it stars our two guests. And we're really looking forward to this conversation. These guys are just phenomenal actors, but also just great, great guys. Um trying to think of my first time running into Bobby. When have you not seen Bobby? No, the real question. First time well, what I mean is, like, he's always working very hard. That's and, true. Uh, di- many different facets through his, uh, through Beirut Wedding and Organ Arts Watch and... And uh, ART and, and everywhere. Bob, Bobby is... It's a man a, about town. And, and, and our other guest is Anthony Lamb. And Anthony Lamb, I remember working on, for the first time, Elliot. And I remember just having a ball, and I remember him just nailing it and just being awesome and 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 yeah and i think he ended up uh continuing the trilogy but uh these guys (laughs) flew in all the way (laughs) from their main stage production which just so happens to be where we are right now um let's let's do some introductions here (laughs) we've got bobby bermea who is the co-artistic director of beirut wedding and one of the stars of the production that we're talking about today and we also have Anthony Lamb, who is the other star of the production. These are hardworking actors. You've seen them around town. You've seen them on main stages all over Portland. Uh, how are you guys doing? Doing great. Yeah. Thank you. Absolutely. Thanks for having us. Yeah. I just want to start saying that I uh, really, really love the play. Saw it on uh, that preview night. Yeah, it was, seriously. Uh, Thank, it was you so <laughs> Thank you so much for coming. Very powerful. Yeah. You know, you've been up for what about a week or yeah we we started last week and uh we had a couple of previews uh wednesday thursday uh, and then we opening friday right. and then saturday and then we had easter sunday so do you matinee. feel do you feel like you've found your groove i i i feel like we're we're still exploring and we're we're finding and discovering as we keep doing this play i mean this play is it's a beast you know yeah, yeah. um from start to finish there's no moment or at least for me, that I feel that you can uh, let your guard down, um, and I always find myself exhausted at the end. And I, but at the same time, exhilarated. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a phenomenal experience uh, to sh- to share this with Bobby. Um, we've worked with each other before, and um, I mean, Gurgis, his words—they're uh, like knives, you know. Yeah. And uh, it, it's just there's no moment. <laughs> that is just leaves you feeling comfortable you're on the edge of your seat or at least i mean for me uh i'm on the edge of the bucket the bucket <laughs> whatever i'm you know wherever i am and it's just it's tense and but it's so raw and real and i definitely feel with our with our crew of people uh we are more in a groove than we would normally be after one week oh yeah uh, performances mm. um yeah but it's always you know going to be evolving and growing and we're going to like be discovering things that mm. um, we don't even know um that exist yet um which is you know it's like it literally happens every night in every scene where you're either doing something that you had done before or 
your fellow actor is coming at you with something different you know than what they were doing and it's always organic mm -hmm. um it helps uh like always to have a great writer yeah yeah you yeah. know um who's giving you who's giving you such great words to work with um which makes it just super exciting yeah. so i mean has anything like that happened where um you know, for the non-actors out there uh so where something has happened that felt so different on stage and you just kept rolling with it like well i'll tell you i'll tell you uh an experience that uh uh stood out to me there was a moment where um, me and Bobby are in the cages, and he's about to tell me um, about killing, you know, his his murders or whatnot. And uh, somebody's cell phone went off, Ooh. and he did this amazing thing where <laughs> he did not continue telling the story, and he waited. And I felt like it was a minute or so oh of waiting, mm. but. For me, I kept watching him, yeah. and all I kept thinking was he was just replaying this incident in his mind. Oh. And so when he finally spoke, when the, the cell phone was shut off, it was so clear and vivid and powerful. I mean, his words were so grounded and i mean they resonated with me it it made my my hairs on my arms stand up oh and wow it was it was very powerful wait what part of the play was that i'm just curious um when i'm talking about miami beach uh, and that i killed the little ecuadorian kid yeah yeah, it's, yeah. oh that's yeah. a good one that's, that's well it, it was it wasn't like like the cell phone went off like right before that line <laughs> right before he oh, said i'll I tell you like, why i killed him oh, and it i was, was like i am not talking until oh she, and it was until beautiful. She that figured out that's great yeah it was beautiful and i remember we finished that scene and we went backstage and duffy epstein <laughs> and wasim nomani uh they remember hearing it in, in the you know dressing room and they were like Oh my God! The fact that you you waited—I I don't even think I would have been able to wait—and it was just so good. And we were just hanging, and we were like, "Is he gonna talk? What, what, what's happening?" And they were just like, even backstage, they were standing up, tense, and that's how I felt sitting. And it was just—it was very powerful, and it really captured me. And I hope the audience felt yeah. what I felt. Yeah, you know, because like he says, we've. We've rehearsed this, and you know we've done this scene a few times and whatnot. But to find that you know it's live, and when you are able to you know find this nuance and do this different thing based on what the audience gives yeah. you or based on what happens—a music cue, a sound cue, a lighting cue, whatever—and it's up to us yeah. how we react to it. And that reaction was just spot on. It it really heightened the stakes. So, Bobby, what was going through your mind at that time? Uh, well, you know, it's like when you're acting on stage, like your brain is always operating on like five different levels. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, and the first thing I thought was, okay, wait, because I'm getting ready to you, you know, talk about this thing for the first time. Um, and uh, and it's actually in some ways, it's the perfect place where I can do that. Yeah, that's true. You know, uh, and um, and so the character is just thinking about what he's about to say. You know, and the actor is just waiting for her. And, and to be and to be fair, like the woman in question, you know, she got right on it. You know, it was obviously like an accident and, yeah. and she got it handled as fast as she could. Um, you know, I think a phone went off the night we saw it. Now that I 
think about yeah, it. Yeah, there's only going to have a little bit. But there, there was the dude eating the sandwich, too. Oh, my too. gosh. The oh guy was gosh. just eating. I, I heard, heard about, about him. I heard about him. I was wondering if you guys noticed it. He was, he, he was sitting right next to us because we were like oh, – and he moved over. He's like, well, because Phil had put – we had put down a recording thing, and then uh, we were like, we should move it away from him because he's about to eat. And so we moved it, and then he moved because he didn't want to bother anybody. So he moved, like, over there by himself. Over to like you know stage left like far away it was and the then loudest thing I've and ever he heard. was it was like the first I was like are you kidding me and you know it's it's but live it's, it's live it's you like know, you know that you mean you know? I mean uh, opening night I couldn't get the fucking keys over the thing oh for whatever the matches, reason yeah. the matches yeah see I was when I saw you doing that I was like this dude has this shot down because that night the night I saw it it was like oh, yeah, it was, it was like, you were like every, hitting him in the head with every it every other just, night oh. every other throw besides <laughs> opening night was perfect like yeah. all week long every other throw was great because I was you know? a little tense watching that because yeah. I was like that could go out of the and thing and it did and then what yeah. happened <laughs> yeah. only on opening night only oh, on yeah, opening yeah, night yeah. every other oh, night but it was it was it was it was beautiful because when it happened you know the show must go on. And Bobby did this thing where it was just like, okay, I'm going to reach over this cage and I'm going to, you yeah. know, break this moment for a second. But the audience was with us. They clapped, they cheered, and they were just right back in it. And, and him we and I back just got it. our focus. And yeah. it was just like, I mean, as an actor, what do you do? You yeah. know, it's like, get back to work and get get them back into the story. Yeah. And I it's felt like. It's if you don't deal with it. Yeah. And I felt like it, it worked wonderfully. This is a heavy play. How did we get to this play uh, with Beirut Wedding? Like, how how did we decide that this was the play that you wanted to do? Uh, this play was uh, first brought to our uh, uh, mine and Jamie's attention um, by Antonio Sinera and Badass Theater when he was uh, still doing a lot of Badass, and he had uh, brought a lot of scripts that. Uh, he was gonna. He was thinking like these would be possible for badass mm. to do, mm-hmm. and that was one of them, you know. And um, and I asked Jamie to direct it, and Tony was actually in it. Um, and we all, you know, like like we both like loved the play, mm-hmm. you know. Um, it felt like it just felt, you know, it's one of those plays. It's, it's so funny. Like when we were pitching it to Coho, we kept talking about how it's a play that you know because they they generally like to do newer works, mm-hmm. but like how this play felt like it had a new resonance yeah. for the era that we're in right now. But yeah. when you think about it, like this this script is always gonna, be like, you know, I don't know about Gertrude's other stuff. This script is gonna be coming back again and again and again because it just has a lot to say about people yeah. and about the, the the way we function as a society um and and uh, and the underbelly of that society you know um and, and i feel like it, you know it, it's not a play that's going to be limited by um topicality or lack of topicality um uh it's always going to be resonant you know it's, it's always going to have uh an impact and meaning for which whichever audiences are going to come see it and and um uh, you know, it was a play that had, uh, you know, a bunch of people of color. Yeah. Um, it was a play that had, that, that was um, religion yeah. of a sort, like spirituality was, was at the forefront of the discussion. It's a play that is a discussion, mm-hmm. you know, um, it's, it's, a, it's a kind of crystallization of a, of a nationwide or societal argument that is going on, yeah. you know, um, and, uh, and it still leaves you with questions. And we're, and we're, you know, uh, we're, and we're both, as, as artists, are people who are, you know, more interested in the questions than, than, than pretending like we have answers. Yeah, yeah. I, it definitely, it definitely felt that way when I was watching it. It felt pretty timely, and 
so was there anything in this play that specifically rang true for for you and then you uh okay so when when i first read this play i obviously i I i remember loving it and i i was really drawn to it but the timing of it now and when bobby presented this as a possibility for me i definitely in the last year had been going through um questioning my faith okay. uh, you know my i was raised catholic um my mother's devout catholic my grandmother forget about it she would never be able to see this show mm. if she heard the things that i said in this show <laughs> she would like have a heart attack what what would she take like a uh, offense with it? Specific. If I can curse on this um, yeah, show, you can definitely curse. <laughs> fuck the Bible. Oh. She she would she would fall out of her seat. Oh, the fact that gosh. you would even say that. Oh my god! Even, e- as a even it, and it's and it's and it's beautiful too because it's like I don't know the you know denomination or religious um, uh, ideals or whatever of anybody that's in this um, theater when they come see it, but they always gasp when I say that mm. line. When I say fuck the Bible to mm. Bobby, <laughs> I hear <gasps> yeah. like he just said that. You know, and my grandmother, I think of her when I say those words and she would immediately, I know she would go, Anthony, that's not you, right? You don't, you those words aren't, they're not true to you, right? So for me, um, I had a really rough um, 2018 and so much so that I was definitely feeling, I mean, so many things like I read, I reread this play and I was like, Oh, I can identify with this guy so much, just like questioning things and and like feeling like if God existed, I felt like he turned his back. Mm-hmm. And or was it me? You know, it was just yeah. always this like I was going back and forth. And so when I reread it with those feelings, it, it just sunk deeper in and I was like, I can't wait to do this show. You know, I can't wait to bring this to life and bring whatever I'm experiencing right now and make it as real as possible and honest and tell this story, you know, with what's going on in my life. So, I mean, it, it was, I'm very fortunate that it fell in my lap that, you know, Bobby presented this to me and I'm grateful for the opportunity because it was at the right time in my life. Do you feel like through the process of this play, did you, did you end up deepening your spirituality or did you end up you know how did how did it affect your spiritual one hundred percent? So so that was the thing, and it's so funny. Um, I have a hard time with that with the uh, first scene. Mm-hmm. Since questioning my faith, and then all of a sudden, like I have a, a very dear friend who's like a brother to me. He's um, he's extremely spiritual, so much so that like um, since reconnecting with him and talking to him, he'll send me texts and he'll send me. Uh, verses in the Bible that like pertain to my life in that moment that are so profound and powerful that like it's just uplifting. But anyway, um, where I was going with this was trying hard to not know the Our Father is so hard (laughs) because I have to very like concentrate so hard because I say it all the time. Uh, throughout my, you know, my nights yeah. before I go to bed or whatnot, or like if I'm if I'm feeling low, you know, I'll, I'll do that now. So um, it, my spirituality has definitely heightened um, since the low that I felt, and uh, this during the show, I mean, it's it's so it's so important to me, and I'm in a much better place than I was. 
So it's it's fun to to go back and experience what I was experiencing and and adding the color that I try to add to to this piece with what I was feeling. But then at the end of the day, when the show's over, you know, it's like I'm in a much better place. So spiritually, yeah, I'm wow. I'm up. That's good. Uh, you know, it's funny. Um, I am like the heathen in my family. Yeah. Uh, both sides of my family. My my dad's black. My mom is Mexican, and both sides are both church going. I myself am much more like a lot of the stuff that Angel says is actually the way I I feel. Yeah, yeah. And I I, I tend to feel like uh, uh, religion um has been you know is is responsible for much more harm mm. than it is good. Um, I, I tend to think it gets co-opted by psychopaths all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, and, and I would say so like I, I would say like a, a lot of my attitudes about religion have, have been like cemented mm-hmm. during, during this play. But you know like you, like you were saying like how does it how, how does this play reach you? And it's funny it's like it's like so many ways because, because I'm always having it was like when I specifically decided that I wasn't Christian anymore, mm-hmm. um, something was lost. Yeah, and since then, nothing has really taken its place. Yeah, and the closest thing is like theater, mm. you know, that I can go to, and it's a pure thing, and I feel like I'm uh, a part of something that is larger than myself. Um, uh, but it's like, especially like at first, it was like, you know, like like when Christmas comes, for instance, like there's something missing. Like yeah. it used to be magical, and it was this thing. That you know, this it's this incredible event, and now it's just a holiday. Yeah, it's a fun holiday. It's a fun, you know holiday for the family. But but the, the, you know, but um, when I stopped being Christian, you know, there what there is there is a bit of a hole there that I feel like I've been trying to fill ever since. Yeah, you know. Um, but like for these guys, you know, a lot of this play for me is is about shame. Okay. You know, it's like you know, like it's like when I like look at the mirror at Bobby B, you know, I see like this deeply flawed human being. You know, um, and and these guys and this play uh, are, are in a situation where they are having to deal with the consequences uh, of those flaws in really like extreme ways. You know, it's like yeah. you know, and and um, you know, it's like like having all the worst parts of yourself like actually come back to like uh, take their peace. Yeah. You know, um, and for Lucius, you know, it's going to cost them everything, like literally. You know. Um, um, and, it's, and, and you know, it, you know, it's like, and it's like, I haven't killed anybody. Like Bobby hasn't killed anybody, um, uh, but I, you know, I have these flaws in my personality, you know, in my in my person that cost me, hmm. you know, and like, and and how do you, you know, like, how do you maintain? How do you rise up? You know, how do you move past that? You know, how, you know, how do you become a whole person? It's like these two guys are, you're, you're, they are struggling to, to figure that out. Yeah, you know. Um, and actually, like everybody in the play, uh, you know, and we 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 talked when we talked about this in, in rehearsal one time, how everybody in the play is like like a like a rat on a wheel, and they are trying to break their programming, right. you know. And for all of them, um, except for Valdez, who nobody likes, for right. all of them, <laughs> when they try and break their programming, it costs them something. Sure. Okay. You know, um, and, and and even like uh, Diamico, you know, when he you know um, when uh, he breaks the programming. It cost him something, which yeah. turns out to be a good thing for him, right. you know. Right. But uh, yeah, so on that level, it's, it's just a very personal, like, you know, how do we pay for our sins? Okay, you know, 
So my thing that I, I was wondering was, so at the end of the play, this is a spoiler, but at the end of the play, you are found to have like drugs in your system. So what was, how did you reconcile that for your character? Like, is Lucius ultimately either deceiving us or does he fall? What what happens there? Um, you know, it's interesting. Uh, our co-producer, um, Philip Cuomo, used, yeah. used to. I remember we proposed it to him, and he after he was like, you know, I feel betrayed. Yeah, you know, <laughs> and, and I'm like, Philip, Lucius is a psychopath. Yeah, <laughs> you know, uh, I mean, um, people can hold two things in their head at the same time. You know, you know, you know I mean, oh, you know, and I, you just there, there are certain people you just don't trust. You know, a psychopath is a person who decides that his life is worth more than other people's just because his ego says that it is in that moment. That is a person whose word you just should not trust. I don't think Lucius is ever lying exactly, but I don't think you should ever believe what he says. Hmm. You know, um, and I and I feel like if a, if if he wasn't a charismatic character like like if someone would just tell you well you know that, that that guy he's a murderer you know he's killed eight people just because he just did you would you would like know that you would know that yeah you know it's because you like watch him in this yeah. specific situation and you know you see him be funny first you see him be this first and blah 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 and you and you and instead you're D'Amico yeah you know just as a, as a person watching you know I, I feel like you guys don't believe what the psychopath is saying, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, just as a, just as a rule of thumb, he killed eight people. Yeah, so, yeah. You know what I mean? And, and he's a drug addict, you know? And, yeah. um, you know, and I had, you know, my issues with drugs in the past and it's just like, you know, if you don't want trouble, don't bring junkies into your house hmm. because there's so many things that can happen and so many of them are bad yeah. and they have to do, and they involve jail and the hospital and death yeah, or being robbed or whatever, you know? So it's like, you know, and th so there's like this whole thing. There's, so you have all these red flags about Lucius, uh, and, and and people are like, "So do you think he fell at the end?" <laughs> nah, he's a bad man. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. and I think that just that tells you something about how, uh, as an audience member, we receive your character because um, I was completely sold that Lucius was a good guy. I was like, oh, <laughs> this man has been transformed. I was honestly surprised as well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was yeah. like, what did he do? Like, he's not allowed to be around anybody? Like, <laughs> what did he do? Like, and yeah. then it's like, okay, yeah. yeah. That's, some, that's some rough shit. Yeah. And it's interesting because I, I remember, because uh, I, I was also surprised that he, like, did drugs. And we talked about it in rehearsal. We're, we're like, how do you do drugs? Like, you're asking him a lot. Like, like if, you, if you're gonna go die, you know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's a lot for anybody. Oh, that's gonna bring. And that, down, and yeah. that's the thing. Yeah, like I, I was gonna say that too. Uh, playing on what he's saying about like what his past was and how even though a person tries to change, yeah, a person is still human, and he's going to go die. This is against his will. Right. So, he has a human. He has an element to him that is just like most people would probably do. You're afraid to face this um, end. And even though he is this believer and for the whole play, he's like getting people to buy in. Even Angel, that he is this saved man. For me, when I, I remember in a moment when I say you're afraid to die because only two things are going to happen, either nothing or something bad. You're still there's still that possibility, yeah. you know, because you don't know <laughs> who knows, you know, 
until you die, you know nothing. So it's like, I feel like that's, that's just that human element of him of just, all right, I'm going to go do this. And, and, uh, it resonates when he says, you know, I'm trying to take the Jesus perspective, but it's hard. He's just constantly always struggling and he's trying to be this righteous person. Um, but at the end he's Lucius. So, and do you think for your character, do you think that he converts? And that's the thing too. So I feel like, I feel like for my character, um, he's constantly battling this. Does God exist? Is God real? Because every time he um, has this point that he tries to make that God doesn't exist or the Bible wasn't written by him or whatnot, he and he says, "Oh, if Jesus existed, which I don't believe he did, or I don't even know if he always goes back when he's talking to Lucius." They hung Jesus from a cross. So he's just always, I believe that he has this religion that is so deep-rooted inside of him. And even though he questions it, he desperately wants it to be real. Mm. It's and his way out. You yeah, know? And, like, yeah, exactly. And it's, and it's just one of those things. And so because of that, he always lives with this guilt. But he tries to remove the guilt by trying to convince himself that there is no God. Hmm. Because once he fully believes that there is, he believes he has so much penance and things to pay for. And I feel Lucius just sees that in him. And the fact that Angel spends all of his time with this man who just constantly speaks on this is just... It's something that it's inner dialogue that he's already having with himself. Yeah. And it's just further justifying this, oh my gosh, this inner turmoil and I'm in trouble if it is, yeah. you know? And then it's like, how can I be in trouble yet? I haven't killed these people the way he says. And how can he be so comfortable saying these things? Yeah. Mm. And then it's like, so he doesn't feel bad, but I threw this jacket and I'm bad. Like I'm bad. You know, I feel terrible. And it's so it's like this thing that he just constantly fights with. And it, it's so interesting. Uh, I know um, growing up of people who have done things that most people would go, wow, that's really petty. That's nothing. But for them, they feel like it's the end of the world. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I feel like Angel walks that thin, that line of, you know, what is allowed and what's not and how do I feel about it? And well, okay, I have to convince myself that there is no God for me to just be able to continue living and doing what I do, you know, regardless of uh, how bad it is. Yeah. You know, there's a, you know, there's an interesting thing that kept coming up for me, which is the idea that there's a, a morality that exists objectively versus, you know, just a good person, you know, like the, the, the cop, is saying, well, hey, I'm not in here because I haven't killed anybody. Sure. But he seems very much like a bad guy, like a bad guy. Sure. I don't know. Like, how, how did you? How do you guys personally deal with that? That strange dynamic between people who seem like they're, you know, uh, they have not done anything bad, but they, but they're, but they're bad people, or they, they, they give off a really negative energy. So it, yeah, it's it's very interesting. I I just want to say something real fast before Bobby speaks on this, but like. I find it, and I, I think um, Stephen Adley just really touches base. He, he's, he strikes it perfect in this, in this uh, play where Valdez is, I mean, there are so many guards like this that I've even seen in documentaries. 
that are just you see how they treat these people yeah. in this jail or in prison and whatnot. And it can be justified because it's like, well, these people committed terrible crimes, so they shouldn't even be viewed as humans. Yeah. So it raises that question of, okay, so is treating anybody bad, you know, even if they've done some crazy shit? Do they deserve to be treated bad for the rest of their lives? And I, f- I feel like he represents that eye for an eye. And, you know, if this if this yeah. person did all this stuff, hell yeah, he deserves just the worst punishment. We should spit on him and we should kick him and he's he's no longer one of us. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of that happening right now because, you know, we just had the town hall. And I think Bernie Sanders was the one who said that he feels like um, convicted felons should be able to vote. And now there's this backlash of people who feel like they shouldn't be able to vote. And, they're, they're, you know, like, do you do you lose your do you lose that um, aspect of your civil rights when you become a convicted felon? And so there's this whole dynamic between um, how much humanity do we, do we allow felons to have? Well, try a different one. Um, I got into this discussion with somebody about uh, the border. Yeah, yeah, the you know, um, and uh, and about children being separated from their families, and this person was like, you know what, they they try to get in here illegally. That's on them. Yeah, like you know, um, and 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 for me, I'm like, uh, a, I have no idea why some poor people from another country try to come to the richest uh, nation on earth and make a living. I mean, that's you know, I, you know, yeah. I mean. You know that's on that guy, sure. But how does that absolve us yeah. of our behavior? Never mind how that you know how they got here. You know, like because they made a choice that we don't agree with, or a reckless choice, or whatever choice. Does that mean that we don't have to act like human beings anymore? Yeah. You know, um, you know, like 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 Valdez, like every like every character in here raises a question. Yeah. You know, like like for Valdez, the fact that he doesn't break laws and he doesn't do this and he doesn't do that makes him a good person. Yeah. You know, and I think, th- and, and I think that's a deliberate choice by Stephen Alley Gurgis to have Lucius be the one. So, right, because like Lucius, the one says, you know, you think because you didn't do this thing that you're good. Right. Yeah. But the thing is, being good is also an act of choice. That's that's something that you have to do. Yeah. Right. You know, um, and you know, and it's easy to be good in easy situations when everything's uh, coming up roses and yeah. you know life is a bowl of cherries. You know, when. Um, um, an individual or society's, you know, goodness is tested is when, uh, you know, it's not so black and white. You know, it's like, how do we treat the worst people? How do we treat the people who have the least? You know, um, how do we treat the poorest people? Or, you know, you know what I'm saying? You know, yeah, exactly, like, exactly. like that. that's when you find out who you are. Angel says, you know, what good have you ever done? Yeah. Which is like, I prayed for you. Right. You know, um, I mean, and, and that is something. And does that not count? Well, it depends if you're on Twitter. <laughs> right, you know. But you know what? Like, I don't know anybody. I don't, I don't know anybody on Twitter who doesn't question Twitter. Like, you know, like, you know, everybody, like, you know, even the most, the most avid, you know, 500,000 followers is like, Twitter's a cesspool. Like, you know, <laughs> you know, we all know that. Yeah. You know, and, and we still and we and we still and we still go on there and we'll like just spew like bile and opinions um, you know, uh, willy nilly, regardless, you know, um, uh, and it was interesting. I was talking once to Kevin Jones and I remember saying to him that on the internet, you know, uh, you know, you see, you see people's real selves, you know, and he said something very interesting. He was like, 
you know, no, it's not, you know, because our real self, you know, is like, you know, there's this idea that our real self is this self without fetters, mm-hmm. you know, um, and it goes, that's, you know, that, that's not, that's not who you are truly, you know, your, your real self does have to deal with other people mm-hmm. and has to exist in a family, among friends, among coworkers, in a society, you know, you know, this is, you know, the, the, the internet personality that people have is something entirely different that is not actual. Well, you know, that's an interesting idea because you could debate that because you could say, is your real self the person who you are when you are alone or is, is it the persona that you put on when you're around other people? Right. And, I, and I think the internet may even be a third version. Because, yeah, 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 because you, you're not alone with the internet. You're, like, trying to talk to everybody. Right. Right. And it's a performance yeah. and, and yeah. Draw, you know, drawing attention you uh-huh. know, when you try to say the most outrageous things when right. people right. pay attention then, right. you know. And the few times when I've, like, gone off online, you know, I've, like, looked at it and been like, come on, man. <laughs> you know, like, like, read it back. I'm like, that's not you know exactly what i think i don't even know how to write down what i think right, you know right. like you know so yeah sometimes you just get riled up and i mean i, I mean that's the thing, you know you yeah. are around people <laughs> but the consequences are different because the persona because, yeah, is different yeah, exactly yeah. you know yeah you could just totally not look at the, the reaction comments and be like oh, oh said that and now i'm gone I'm you good. know i'm good right <laughs> yeah i've gotten i've gotten into this whole thing where i um you know, like once a week or something, I'll just comment or tweet at Donald Trump just because I feel like he needs to know how I feel. And, you know, and he, he'll never read it. But there's just but this, who knows? There's, yeah, there's a weird <laughs> dynamic, I think, to being online where you feel like other people need to know how I feel about this thing. You know, like you posted that. So I'm going to respond to that because you, you you're, you're asking for my opinion. Right. And, you know, and it's, and it's one of those things where the. You know that is the culture changing. Yeah. You know th- there was a, there was a I went through a long stretch where it used to annoy me with social media because there's so many things that you know when like say I was like y'all's age. Yeah. Were, were like private, and now yeah. and now none of that's private anymore. Like like people just you know talk about it. You know, um, and I'm always like, why are we talking? About, you know, you know, why do people do this? You know, and the thing is, what, what's happening is the notion of privacy yeah. is changing, and it's going to change and adjust and grow to accept social media. And then, you know, and, and then that will be the new baseline for what privacy is. I actually yeah. heard something really interesting about how um, Generation Y, um, the youth, view privacy. And they, they view it totally different than the way that we view it. They, they, they live such public lives that they don't have a real point of view on privacy. Sure. And so th- their, their view is that everything is public and should be public like and that's why you see all these uprisings and cancel cultures and all these kind of things because they feel like everything should be aired out like it's all in the public sphere so i you know maybe it's something we'll deal with later but and so like, maybe not it, yeah, maybe, <laughs> or we'll all just you know it's keep funny going. because like I, I'll, I'll see like i remember like i, I saw this brother he was like and, and now you see you've seen like a thousand videos like this since but i remember the first time i saw one this guy was like drunk and he couldn't walk on the sidewalk and blah blah blah. And he was falling down and blah blah blah. You know, but the thing is, like, that he didn't post that. Yeah. Somebody else took the picture and then they and posted it on the internet. Yeah, I'm yeah, like, yeah. those are your friends, bro. <laughs> you know, it's it's like there's all kinds of shit. Like, I am so like for my, for myself and maybe like 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 what, you know to what you're saying. You know, maybe it would be entirely different if, if I was raised now. Yeah. But when I was when I was in my uh, 20s and whatnot. Good God, thank God there were no cell phones around. You know, taking yeah. pictures because, <laughs> whoo, you know, <laughs> you know, it just would be bad. Yeah, I sure couldn't run for office. 
<laughs> Do you think you can run for office now? No. <laughs> no, that will never work. How about you, Anthony? Nah, probably not. <laughs> Aren't we supposed to be getting more, um, you know, liberal people on the ground in the office? I haven't noticed that. Isn't that what we're supposed to be doing? You know, that's uh, ideally, but... Um, if you don't run for office, a Republican's going to take your seat. <laughs> or anybody's going to take your seat. Or, yeah, or anyone. Um, I think we're getting to a point though where yeah. uh things are gonna have to get worse before they get better. Really? Um, and you know, and there's no guarantee. You know, this is just. Do you think that? Don't you think that things have already gotten worse? Though? Absolutely. Yeah. And it's it's a scary thought to hear yeah. that that things will get even worse. I mean, you know, we're in the middle of this 200 year experiment. There is no guarantee that experiment is going to be successful. You know, um, there's no guarantee that America is gonna. You know, and and like for me, this is this has been a shocker of a revelation. Uh, this country might not be destined for a whole lot longer. Is it a shocker? Uh, it was for me. Yeah, sure, mm. sure. I uh, I mean, um, you know, uh, I was, um, you know, when I was born, like America was very much uh, the most powerful nation on earth and rich, oh, and yeah. we just put a man on the moon. Yeah, and you know, there was all this like. You know, um, and, and I remember uh, Vietnam happened, and I never even heard that we lost that war when I was a kid. Mm. I, I heard it was a tie. Huh. You know, well, it wasn't yeah. until like years. It was years, a tie. It, it, yeah. it wasn't until like years later that I realized, realized that we actually we lost. We really lost, yeah. You know? Um, Do you I, feel like the internet plays a part in that? That the, the decay or the... Um, uh, um, I think, you know, I, I will say I think the internet that played... Uh, plays a truth telling part there's a lot like like i said like me um like my dad was a life in the military my granddad was one of the first black troopers of black paratroopers in the united states army like like his his uh, platoon or whatever is like famous okay. uh my theo on my mom's side also fought in world war ii um we're like americans yeah um and there's an extent to where i was always thinking that uh you know the country was not perfect yet but that we but that the arc of history bends towards justice mm -hmm. kind of thing you know and mm -hmm. um realizing that that might all be bullshit you know and that uh there was a huge swath of the population that didn't want that hmm. for, like like for me i mean and, and part of it was just uh because i remember when the phrase like you know being woke yeah started coming around you know you know and it was about waking up and seeing things for what they were you know, and I, and and for me, you know, and it's still a hard one. I mean, I I have you know decades of indoctrination. Mm. You know, where I was like, shit. I always thought we were gonna get to a place, um, where you know, you know, just one day like we'd all be accepted and all, you know all this stuff that I still believe in. You know, only now I feel like more like a fool. Like, and you know, and it's, and it's hard to talk about. You know, yeah. because you don't feel like people actually believe it. You know, you know, and some of it goes back to like we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men. You know, I assume that means women as well right. are you know are created equal and endowed by the Creator with life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And we didn't all have that, but that's what. But that was obviously what we were working towards. Mm -hmm. And now to realize that that is actually not the case. Yeah. You know, and and if. And the closer we get to, like, if, if we get close to that actually happening, somebody is going to try and stop it. 
Right. You know, somebody who considers themselves a law-abiding American. Yeah, and we're yeah. seeing that already with these violent groups. There's just more and more just violence on the streets. Yeah. And, yeah. I mean, people working alone, but also, like, concerted efforts from people to be violent toward other people because of their beliefs or sure. because of, you know, who they are and because they feel like they're losing power. Yeah. Right. You know? Right. And people want to talk about equality until they have to give up power. Right. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and that's that. That's what worries me about the direction we're going is that it's. I was like, well, it's all just you know, people yelling at each other. But it's like, no, people are killing each other now. Sure. Just in the streets, and I mean, that's the thing is like that's, that's how civil wars start. Is not you know necessarily like we think is like okay, the north and the south are declaring war on each other or whatever. It's like no violence just starts popping up because of different things and like this global shit, like the whole Christchurch thing went happened, and then the this um. What just happened in Sri Lanka, they're saying now, is a direct – was because of what happened in Christchurch. And, you yeah. know, that that's a global thing. Yeah. And this is not just America. It's it's global Brexit. You know, it's just division and people, you know, shoring up. convulsing. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, true. you know, and that's the scary thing about memes because, you know, these ideas kind of grow – out of the internet or exist on the internet or now they have this network that they can kind of live on Just move a lot faster yeah they can move they can grow and evolve They're, yeah exactly. out of control exactly and so you know now we have this meme that is this mass um mass killing meme and now people are kind of oh well that's something that i can do you know like that's this now it exists as an idea and the more and more we publicize it and the more and more we promote it the more and more people i mean now we're starting to see people all over the world get the idea for, you know which is basically an american you know idea you know it's it's so mass shooting and and also lucius you know he goes he's a serial killer he's a serial killer and that's exactly. a thing that's a thing why did he become a serial killer probably because he heard you could be a serial killer you yeah. know like and get it, notoriety yeah and get famous, notoriety you know? and yeah. also you know get out whatever the fuck is going on you know it's uh yeah, it's weird. It's a and, wild world yeah. we live in. Yeah. Wild time. And, you know, and part of it is also, like, the internet is bringing everybody closer. Yeah. You know, um, so, we're like, uh, we have, like, 7 million people now, and all of a sudden it feels like we're piled on top of each other. It, yeah, it does. You know? It does. So I, I think that's part of it, too. And then, you know, and everything that happens that's bad in the world, you feel like is happening to you in some way. You know, you hear about so much negative yeah. um events all over the world and so you know after a while it just piles up just, shouldn't i be terrified yeah. <laughs> like, right yeah. right um great uh let's let's move into some other another line of questioning <laughs> now that we're all depressed no, 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 yeah. <laughs> this is the episode about the end of the world <laughs> it's the play about the end of the world yeah yeah um yeah let's uh, let's let's talk a little bit about um you know, just generally being an artist um, in this town, I'm curious. Uh, maybe you can tell me a little bit about how you got here, where you're coming from, and what your point of view is um, now that you're here. Um, yeah. So, yeah, what what brought you guys to Portland to pursue art? Uh, for me, I'm from uh, Los Angeles, L.A. area, and what part? Uh, uh, Southern California, San Pedro by Long Beach. San Pedro, I lived in San Pedro. Nice. nice. <laughs> nice little port town it's um it's, a great it's where town. the 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 110 freeway ends yeah. it drops you off there but um anyway i you know i studied at uc santa barbara got a theater degree there and uh, i never saw myself really leaving los angeles and then i met my wife she was from here she moved down mm. there we met fell in love had kids then she kind of convinced me that oregon was a great place to raise 
children, to have a family, more space. She was right on all mm-hmm. fronts. And um, moved here, and I continued acting here, um, not knowing at all what this, what the Northwest was like. And um, I kind of just jumped in, quit my quit my job, jumped in, and uh, started doing commercial work here in, in Seattle. And then I remember I did the PAD auditions, and I got called in um, by Olga at uh, Milagro Theater for a show that they were doing, and I got cast in that. And once I got cast in that, it kind of just things started falling into place. Then uh, Lauren Bloom Hanover saw me in that and then invited me to audition for Elliot. And then in Elliot, I met Bobby because uh, we did uh, Water by the Spoonful. I did the trilogy. I was fortunate enough to do the trilogy, the three parts. And then I met Bobby. And then uh, Bobby kind of talked to me about doing something else. And then this was the project. And uh, I got involved in Portland Center Stage um, through Elliot. And so things have just kind of uh, kept happening in whatever show I've been in. Um, but for the most part, it's a lot of commercial work that I do here because this is my main source of income. So theater is what I love, um, but I definitely need to supplement the income, and the commercial work is where it's at. How do you like the commercial work out here? Uh, it's it's funny because I have I have three children, and I have now been labeled the dad. So a lot of the commercials that I get are the dad and it's great because i'll always have um you know uh, play children on on set and i just gravitate toward children and i love playing with them and creating with them and getting them to open up because obviously kids on set they get really shy when they see so many different strangers and they see these lights and stuff so it i just go right naturally into just making them try to laugh and getting them comfortable and I develop a dynamic, and I guess since then, I, it's just always like, all right, let's let's bring Anthony and the dad, you know, and whatever. <laughs> so I do a lot of that kind of stuff. But um, there's always things going on, and it's 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 fun. It's very easy, and the crew is – I mean, people here are so nice and down-to-earth, and uh, um, there's no prima donnas or anything. And so for that, I, mm-hmm. I love the Northwest for that because Los Angeles was very different, very cutthroat. <laughs> and um, it's a good – it's crazy. It's a good place to be a person of color here. You know what I mean? Um, the it's it, there's not as many people. There's yeah. not as many people, and um, so I go in as ethnically ambiguous, and I fit a lot of different roles. And um, hmm. yeah, I guess I get a lot of work that way. So uh, you know, it's funny um, when I uh, I first moved here to do a play. I was uh, I lived in Seattle. And um, I uh, moved here to do Raising the Sun at Artist Rep. And um, I was on probation in Seattle, but I had a really uh, lackadaisical parole officer. So I would like go or not go. Like a lot of times I would go and she wouldn't show up. I would go and I'd wait for an hour. So I just thought she didn't care. And so I was doing Raisin, and I got a letter saying, you know, you have been violated, you know, blah, blah, blah. So I'm like, okay, well, I can't go back to Seattle. <laughs> um, and so I didn't, you know. Uh, and uh, <laughs> Can't go back there. <laughs> you know. Well, you know, yeah, um, eventually it went off the books. Like, eventually, like, I was like, you know what? You should really get that taken care of. <laughs> you know, and, and I called them, and, and 
They were like, no, we can't find any more record of you. But that was um, like my library <laughs> card. That <laughs> <laughs> was a lot more scary. <laughs> that was, uh, you know, that was, you know, that was, that was how I found up. Uh, I wound up uh, first getting stuck here. Um, uh, I also, uh, you know, I met my partner Jamie, the director of Jesus Off the A Train and co-artistic director of Baby Wedding. We and both of us, I think, always uh, like and there were times when we talked about it a lot about talked about leaving. Mm-hmm. you know but we keep working you know um uh in one capacity or another you know and it's funny uh it's <laughs> like when 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 Anthony was like you know it's a good place to be a person of color and you don't like i don't really think of portland that way but when i think about it but the fact is like i have played you know um asagai and raising the sun and ogun and the brother sister plays and um, booth and top dog underdog and this and the, you know like like there are all these fabulous roles that i've that i've gotten to play and and uh and part of that is because i live in this town mm-hmm. so uh, you know um and you know it's like you know the, the, you know as, as long as the, the work keeps coming and now jamie and i are doing this thing um where uh we're, you know the, the place where we have the most cachet you know um and where uh people would be willing to invest and these two artists is here, mm. you know. Yeah. Um, it's all people who you know we want to work with, yeah. And and we and we and we know a lot more about that and a lot more of what like what's going on uh, here in this town, you know. Um, and I mean, I would love to get more into the commercial and television business myself, you know. <laughs> but I don't have that. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get some momentum man you know because god i did one tv gig and it paid for like two weeks of theater work oh yeah dude. yeah two, two weeks of it was like four hours yeah yeah yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. uh so uh, how do you how do you think uh being in portland has changed the way that you create has it has it affected in any way um i think the uh, the dearth of artists of color, uh, which is actually changing now. Yeah. There are a lot more than there used to be. Sure. Uh, has has seriously altered, like uh, uh, the stuff I would have done. Um, uh, but you know, it's funny. It's like, what happened? Like when I moved to Seattle, I fell in love with the Pacific Northwest. Um, because it's green, um, and I and I loved camping and like hiking and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And I would say like that's what keeps me, mm-hmm. you know. Um, uh, Jamie and I also work with Sojourn, and when right now we're doing a show that's being built over in Chicago. Um, and Chicago is always like this super exciting city, and there's a lot yeah. of theater there, and there's a lot more black people there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's all concrete. Yeah, <laughs> you know it's like it's it's all concrete and steel and glass. You're like, and the water tastes funny. <laughs> you know, you're like, oh. that fluoride. Yeah, exactly. exactly. There ain't no fluoride you know, here. And I'm just, I'm just like, ah, I don't yeah. know if I can do it. Yeah, it's rough. Yeah, I mean, as a person from the Midwest, I can I can say that yeah. the water tastes funny. <laughs> you know, uh, but I, I I guess I feel like. Uh, there are some times when you feel like you have limitations here um, because, you know, you don't have or we didn't like, you know, like like we didn't have like the pool of <clears throat> a variety mm-hmm. of like theater artists of color 
you know, with with you know, just with with their different ideas and their you know, and the different things that they want to do, and their different aesthetic and sensibilities. Right. Like, and you know, and this gets you know, uh, you know, you get beat over the head with it when you go like any place else. Yeah. You know, like when like when I first came here, I, I didn't know per se that it was the whitest country, the whitest city in America. Right. You know, and I remember uh, I was living here, and I did a gig in uh, Cleveland. Mm-hmm. Hey. You know, <laughs> you know, and it's like black people, <laughs> you know, like, whoa, you know, it's like, I forgot. That's we got them. <laughs> you know, OK, OK. You know, it was, you know, you're like, oh, wow, that's right. You know, the rest of the country does not look like Portland. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, I'm from Cleveland. Phil's from Akron. <laughs> oh, we know about I, it. Yes. Oh, right, right. Yeah. But I understand that idea that there are so few of us compared to many other cities. But um, see, I view that as an opportunity in the sense of, look, you have all these amazing ideas and you have to create, you have, and that's why I think Beirut Wedding, you know, this production company just has so much going for it. And when you do something like this, and then it's like, it's only going to gain notoriety. And it's like, what does Bobby and Jamie have lined up next? And you're just going to build that following to be able to continuously cre- create and work with the people that you want to work with that you've, you know, the network of, of actors and talented people that you've worked with throughout your whole career here. And you're just going to open that up and you're going to be responsible yeah. for that. Do you know what yeah. I mean? So that's powerful. That's amazing. That's something exciting to uh, look forward to. I mean, that's the whole idea. Like, you know, that's why World is in the full titles, like the Baby Wedding World Theater Project. Yeah. We're hoping to go to other places and maybe even bring other places here. Exactly. You know? how, yeah. how did you come up with that name? I've always been curious. Oh, uh, you know, like years and years and years ago, um, which you start to say more and more as you get older, uh, <laughs> I saw, um, in a, just like in a magazine of great photographs, uh, um, a photograph of a man and a woman who had just gotten married and they were still in their full wedding regalia and they were tiptoeing through the streets of of Beirut, Lebanon, after it had been bombed out, and it was during uh, the religious civil war in the early eighties, yeah. um, and the caption of the photo said that the woman was Muslim and the man was Christian, mm-hmm. and I just remember looking at that picture and like, man, that is what I would love to say with my theater company. Um, when Jamie and I decided to do this theater company together, and and we were talking about this, and she loved that idea, and we actually we were looking up the photograph. Instead of the photograph, what we came across was this article talking about how during that civil war, there was a movement by some of the young people to deliberately marry across religious lines mm-hmm. in order to protest the war. Wow. You know, and yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, and, you know, and it's, uh, you know, and, and it was in this thing where it was like, you know, God, people are so like reprehensible and, and, and you know. And unbearable so often, you know, but not all the time, you know, and, and sometimes like, like in, in the, in, when we're in the pit is when we shine, Yeah. you know, um, and, and we, you know, but it's like, and it's like, you know, and sort of, so like, we like both really like, just like really hope like the theater company is about those times when beauty comes out in the midst of like the ugliness, but there's also like so too many other things, you know, you know, um, uh, you know, and, and about, uh, you know, a, a lot of the stuff that we've talked about, you know, this evening, you know, um, you know, about religion, about spirituality, uh, about good and evil and, and, and what those even are, you know, um, and about love, you know, and um, so that is where 
that name came from. Yeah. Let's move to a section that we call headlines. <laughs> so, you know, we scour the internet and various newspapers. You better ask Anthony. For nah. clickbait <laughs> headlines. And we just want to get your opinions on some of these topics. First headline from W24.com. My mother wants me to pay her back for raising me. <laughs> How do you feel about paying back your parents for raising you? And are, when you say that, do you mean... Like, how do I feel about literally paying them mon money? Or do you mean pay back based on how you are in society and how, like... I believe that this has a dollar amount. A dollar amount. <laughs> I, Itemized. It's, it's interesting, you know. It's like it. now that I'm a father of three, um, you know, raising them to be strong individuals, independent, um, uh, you know... Allowing them to express themselves and be unique, be them, you know, who they're gonna be. I, I, I scoff at it, you know, at the idea of you made the decision to bring these children into the world. I don't believe they owe you anything. Yeah. That's a good answer. You know what I mean? <laughs> they owe you nothing. <laughs> yeah. You are you are there to help them and guide them to be the best individual that they can be. But they, in turn, owe nothing, you know? I think I can agree with that. I mean, it, I, if I were in a different situation, you know, if I were getting ready to uh, retire and I had some wealthy kids, I think I... If they're not poking up though, already, be like, I might send Hello. them an invoice. <laughs> um, who owns your fingerprint? Who owns your fingerprint? <laughs> <laughs> wow. I mean, because I guess I don't. Yeah. Does anybody have you the think Apple? about who's got it? Who's got the Apple? Yeah, who, like who has I it? I that, still, yeah. mine, I, I still, it's like it, when I first got it, and it's my first smartphone, uh -huh. and I had got it like two years ago, and it's <laughs> falling apart now, but it's like they still want to do the touch, and I'm like, no, you can't have it. But it's like Phil was like, dude. They have it already because you've yeah. been touching it. Like, yeah, that's they, what I'm gonna they say. Just it, want to know if you want to use you know, it. You if, know, if if anybody and nowadays if anybody has it, everybody has it. And yeah, that's right. And mine was got a long time ago. <laughs> I actually have the new one now, where it's the face scanner. Right. And I mean, I I just get, you can. See, take I don't even know what, what you guys you are talking need. about. <laughs> you look at the phone. Yeah, you know, the phone, you look the, at the iPhone, and then it opens. It, it, yeah, if you look it, at it, it recognizes you. Actually, I like that because now I feel like my phone is my buddy. So when I, I'm like, hey, do you See, that's what they I, I want you want to, to feel think. that way, Phil. They want, that's what they want no. you to think. Yeah. I, See, I already feel like that my phone is my vampire that is like sucking the blood. I like, I can't live without it now. Yeah. Well, I mean, it is your vampire. Yeah. <laughs> it's like when I like leave it at home, you're like, oh my god, the world's gone silent. I, there was when <laughs> I, I, I don't bought, exist. <laughs> when I first bought my phone, I actually took it on a date. <laughs> we went to go see the new Deadpool movie. I picked you up from that. I remember that. It was beautiful. You went by yourself and then asked me to pick you up. I remember. Yeah. It was, yeah. It was, yeah <laughs> it, I, mean, I love it. There was, there was, you know, there been a couple of times when I uh, fell asleep next to my phone, you know, because I was like listening to a book or something, you know, and it was just like so embarrassing. You're like, nah, I need to fix you this. You turn over I in the this. morning, you say, yeah. I love you. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> That's the first thing you see, the first thing yeah, you talk to. I started working in this factory recently, um, and I've, I've done a lot of like production jobs before, and they always let you wear headphones. And this one, they haven't been letting me wear headphones. And 
it's been driving me insane. Like, absolutely crazy. And lately, they've been, like, giving me some jobs. They're like, it's okay if you listen to something. I'm like, thank God. Because I really, I cannot sit there with my thoughts. I was quality control checking tea bags coming off a tea bag <laughs> machine for, like, eight hours, three oh, days in a row. Let me oh, tell you man. about that. Because they were like, oh, we were not going to be doing this. Oh, just today, just today. And it's like, you know, with nothing, just the machine. Yeah. Oh. I, I don't know what people think back in the so day yeah. because I, li- I li- podcast all the time in my ears. There I am so bad though. It's like I it's hard for me to shop for groceries, just like shop for groceries mm-hmm. without listening to something. Yeah, you know, and I, I'm just like okay, like I, I like I have to like will myself. You're not gonna. You're just gonna walk around and be like you used to do. Yeah, <laughs> I can't do anything. Yeah, no. you know, used to not listen to a book all the time, bro. Right. You know, you can do it. And it's like I can't do it without it. But then I'll find myself just like walking down the aisles of Winco, just kind of like walking around, be like, "Fuck!" And you put something in the basket, like <laughs> like listening to it. Like, oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, like what you just said. Like, how do people used to wait? Like I ask myself that now, and I was around back then. You know, yeah. like, how do we used to wait in line or to meet up? Oh my god! You know, <laughs> you know, it must have been brutal. You know, oh, you know, the DMV's just like, and I remember I used to take a book sometimes. Yeah, that's right. That's you, all you can but, do you know, is you was, can read or like take you know, God, the lines are like. But nowadays you're just like, yeah. You just hook it up. It's like, sweet. I get to sit with my phone for the next five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> Sick. I'm going to the DMV. You know, I <laughs> see what this Twitter cesspool is all about. <laughs> I have Marvel Unlimited on my phone. Oh, so there like, you go. Now so you know. I'm like, I'm like reading Bobby's comic books. Always, that's yeah. what's nice. Up. I just got the DC Universe See, so you're still doing it, though. Nice. You figured out a way to get the comic books still. I'm fired. <laughs> Marvel. He's wearing an X-Men shirt. So <laughs> okay, in honor of... This past weekend being 420. Um, <laughs> here's a headline. I once quit weed for a relationship. Here's why I'll never do that again. This is the Portland Mercury. <laughs> yeah, that's easy. Because weed's going to be with her. You, you know, if, if your person needs you to give up something like 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 that, yeah. then they're not your person. And they're not the right person. Not the right and also, th- they're making you change. You know what I mean? Yeah. You change if you want to change. Right. But don't I, change for someone. If that was something that you wanted to change to begin with, then that's different. Like, Jamie doesn't smoke or drink. She has never asked me not to do either. Hmm. Yeah. You know? And that's how you knew she was the one. Cause you're like I'm about to be hot. Uh, you know, you know, <laughs> not at first. You know, at first, like, wow, this is never gonna work. Yeah. You know, right, yeah. but uh, you know, but but she just doesn't deal. You yeah. know, she's like, you know, it's not, you know, that's great. Um, she's like, don't drive drunk, okay? You know, <laughs> yeah. Bobby, can I have your keys? I'm like, okay. Sweet, you're, you're yeah. not drinking. That's that's amazing. love, man. <laughs> that's yeah. unconditional cool. love. <laughs> that's great. I mean, you know, I think that um, when we all have Teslas, we'll all be okay. To, <laughs> to do whatever we need to do. Uh, here's another one. Uh, how much weed can five bucks get you right now, Portland Mercury? Uh, you can get an eighth for five bucks. An eighth? Yeah, you can get an eighth at several places. That's that's the best I've seen at Floyd's, and and now New Amsterdam has a billboard that says. Four by eight for twenty. Floyd's the coffee place? No, Floyd's the fine cannabis. <laughs> I, we're already plugging. Pay us money, Floyd's cannabis. <laughs> I go there all the time cannabis. because they just got Give five rates all the way up, and it's wow. just like I mean, not the best weed, but yeah. not the worst weed either. I'll yeah. tell you, I've smoked yeah. way worse weed. Five dollars. I mean, five I think dollars this is, for an This eight. is more of a philosophical question, which, which is think about. I mean, back in the day. Yeah, that's coffee. what I was gonna say. In Ohio, when we were growing up. Fifty bucks an eighth. Yeah, that's or a, that's, sixty. That's or what sixty. If you were talking you to the wrong person. Did you guys know each other in Ohio? Uh, when we went to college. Oh, cool. Yeah, we went to college together. No. Um, 
Oh, last one. Lillard hits epic game winner to silence thunder. Uh, lo- oh my gosh, I replayed that. Just, so it's, it's so funny. We, we just had this huge discussion about it in the dressing room. Yeah. What, what did you say? I didn't even. I didn't even get to. I didn't even get to watch the 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 game. I I was. I was ESPNing it on my phone, just the app, mm-hmm. but not the actual game. Yeah. I just watched the score yeah. change, and I was just doing the comment, the commentary to myself. <laughs> like one minute left. All right, all right. And then when I saw that it, the score was tied and the Blazers had the ball, I all I was thinking in my head because it doesn't tell me anything who has the ball or anything. Right. Yeah. Other other than the Blazers have the ball, and I was like. Lillard, I know you have that ball. <laughs> just don't give the ball back. Yeah. Just worst case scenario, you're going in overtime. Right. And then, and then it's so funny because the way the way the app um, works is it went final first, and yeah. the score stayed 115. And I was like, "Oh, so did he miss? What happened? There was 17 <laughs> seconds. Like what? What happened?" And then I I feel like I waited 20 seconds. And all of a sudden, just went 118. I went, "Oh, I have no idea." But whoa, I was just going nuts. And oh yeah, and then it gave me the des- the description. Lillard hits a 37 foot. Three. Yeah, yeah, you just love that. And I then mean, I just, who does that? Yeah, Lillard. who does that? <laughs> oh, you know, was, we were talking about uh, Paul George mm-hmm. um, belly aching afterwards about how it was a bad shot. Not for him. And we were like, you know, I mean, he obviously set the dude up on purpose. Yeah. yeah. And he was like, I'm gonna shoot this from here. And and it's not like <laughs> In he your hasn't. Face. And it's not like he hasn't shot that shot yeah. before. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So it's like. You know, stats. Worst they, case, you tie. And, and, and you know, exactly. take that shot. And if he, he's like falling. He's like, you know, it's oh. the most and awkward shot. And if he shot. plans that and he hits it, Nathan but nylon in your face. <laughs> like in his mind, just like, give it up. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. Just say, just say it was a hey, two shot, I mean, and he made it on me, and you know, I couldn't have defended it any better. Yeah, I, I, I remember lost. back in the day, I, I gained so much respect for David Robinson because the reporters were were uh, skewering him for getting eaten up by Hakeem Olajuwon. Okay. And I and he was like, you know, I mean, I feel like if you look at the tape, I was there. You know, m- my defense is what it should be. I'm, I'm where I'm sh- I'm supposed to be. He's just great. I'm like. Way to go, man! You yeah. know, just, yeah, you, just, you just give credit. it up. Just yeah, you give it up. Credit you know, because sometimes that that dude is just a stud, and you know, Dame's like that, man. Yeah. Oh my yeah. gosh! You know? Yeah, he carried that 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 game. He put the team on his back. Yeah, it was whole series unbelievable. I just gotta say, I'm glad that I'm in Portland because coming from Cleveland, it was like I was able to be a Cleveland fan because LeBron was awesome. Right, and you know, I'm old school LeBron stan. Yeah, but like. um He's he left from Akron, right? Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. from Akron. It's from Phil's hometown. But like, yeah, I mean, I saw a lot of those first seasons and stuff. And then now, you know, he's gone again yeah. down to the Lakers. Yeah. But I'm like, you know what? I'm in Portland. Yeah, I can like fully be a Trailblazers fan. Yeah, yeah. and I'm like, this yeah. is a good time for it to happen. Yeah. Like a little, a little, <laughs> little advantageous. But it's like I, I can pay attention to basketball here now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Took me a little while, but we, I got there. We were coming. We were coming from here last night, and uh, when the game ended, we were riding by uh, the Broadway Bridge, and everybody wow. from the Moda Center was walking. From wow. The we were like, what happened? And we were like, what happened? And we just saw like, was like yeah. there was one guy in particular who was just like, yes. <laughs> yeah. And we're like, oh yeah. my god. <laughs> Uh, great. Uh, let's do some plugs. Plugs, 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 plugs. Bobby Bermea, what you got going on? Oh, uh, well, you know, um, this is uh, Beirut Wedding's second full production. Um, uh, it's me and Jamie doing our thing. Um, we have a couple of big projects like that, that are coming uh, down the pike, but it's gonna be like in the next year or two. But they're gonna be building in stages. Yeah. Um. One is called uh, Sassback, the Festival of Angry Women. 
you know, it's going to be at a park. It's going to um, uh, feature an adaptation of a Greek tragedy um, or two. It's also going to feature other uh, female forward artists, booths, food, whatever. You know, we're we're we're, tr- we're trying to make it like a festival okay. kind of thing that is that kind of culminates in this production. Um, so just like keep an eye out for that. But you see Sasback, you know, that's us. Okay. Um, and then we're doing, um, uh, we have a piece of mind called Warrior Soul, um, the history of the Knott Street Block, the boxing club. Um, and that's uh, a more uh, episodic theatrical piece that uh, follows the journey of Africans um, across the Middle Passage down to the South and up to Oregon. Wow. Um, uh, kind of interspersed with this uh, real history of this uh, boxing club that we had here in Portland in the 50s, 60s, and 70s um, that actually gained uh, some national renown uh, in the amateur circles. And a, a lot of them are in the Oregon Sports Hall of Fame now. Um, and we want to do, like, like, with that, we want to do stuff like, um, there's a parallel uh, that we want to make, for instance, um, like between what it might have sounded like when you had a, uh, a black man on an auction block or the black man standing in the corner of the ring Mm. You know, here he is, you know, five feet eight, 125 pounds, blah, blah, blah. And um, and draw a straight line from that to that or from uh, traditional uh, West African dance. Um, we're thinking like from Ghana mm-hmm. uh, to the movement in the, that the boxer takes in the ring, mm-hmm. you know. Um, uh, but these are like big projects that are going to be happening in stages. And we'll definitely like be letting you guys know. About them, and then we have a couple of smaller projects also. Um, but you know, these are the things that we're trying to make happen. Great. You know, Clifton. That's cool. Yeah. Um, this weekend, uh, with Fused Creative, uh, PDX, uh, I'm doing my first live video installation. So, um, it's gonna be a lot of fun. Uh, the it's at Space Architecture Firm on uh, Northwest 18th. Um, and so yeah, we're kind of taking over this. Uh, large space and i'll have a video installation in the beginning uh doors are at like six o'clock six to nine p.m so you can uh, interact with the art talk to some cool artists beforehand and then there's a really eclectic performance thing lined up with music and spoken word and comedy and uh i'm really stoked uh meg nana she's really great she does uh i know meg yeah you know meg yeah so yeah she got this whole thing together she started talking to people and she's in such a good position to put something together because she's this great photographer who's worked for uh, the, the, the Mercury and um, and just been around town and knows so many different people. So they, they put together she's a really a cool person. Yeah, yeah, they put together a really cool thing. Um, really excited to be a part of it. And she's really um, given me a lot of freedom to create something that um, I've been wanting to make for a while. So yeah, cool. awesome. sounds fun. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. great. Um uh, we got Diary of a Spider, a Worm, and a Fly, presented by Oregon Children's Theater at the Newmark, um, and that's going to open on May 4th. Um, you can still catch How to Keep an Alien, presented by Corb Theater at New Expressive Works. Uh, be on the lookout for the Moon Talk podcast. The Moon Talk podcast. For all those cryptocurrency people um, out there. Um, that's with. That's how we got started. Yeah, that's where we, that's where we came from. <laughs> <laughs> um. I'd also like to shout out More More, which is who is coming to Holocene um, on May second, and uh, he's just a dope artist. I like him a, a lot. Go check him out. Um, and lastly, Burger Week for all you guys who are Portland heads. Burger Week is coming up 
Put it on your calendars, April 29th through May 5th at well, participating I locations. completely missed Pizza Week somehow. I feel awful about it because I usually celebrate, but I'll have to get it on Burger Week. Yeah. Oh, you know what? I, uh, what I would like to plug, that's not our, that's not my work or our work, because I see what you mean now, is the Theater Vertigo show, A Dark Sky Full of Stars, uh, has a bunch of friends in it, and it's directed. It is directed by Josie Seed, mm-hmm. yeah. um, uh, and Dre's in Dre's it. Dre's in it, right? Yeah, um, oh. yeah, yeah. I've been, I've been hearing good things about that too. Right, looks interesting. You know, yeah, it runs when our show runs, right? Yeah, yeah, we, yeah. We're not. Uh, uh, we, we actually might get to see that one because they're gonna on a do, Wednesday uh, or something. Yeah. Oh, cool. They're gonna do it. Yeah, we night. Are they running right now? Yes, yes I think yeah, so. They're, they're I think running. so. Yeah. Mamie's got Beirut coming up. Well, who? I'm sorry. There's a play called Beirut. Yes. Who's that? Yes. Doing? Yeah. I, Mamie's in that is a uh, and Murray. Murray, right? Yeah. Cool. You know, um, that, that, that should be good. It's a it's a great play for actors, and they're two pretty strong actors. Um, I did that play when I was like twenty. Yeah, I was very confused when that popped up. I was like Beirut, Beirut wedding. Am I getting something wrong here? And then I like <laughs> figured it out, but you know, <laughs> completely unrelated. Yeah. Uh, Anyways, yeah. Awesome. Thank you guys well, for coming. Hey, yeah, thank hey, you. Thank so you. Had a blast. Yeah. Really cool. Yeah. yeah.